I'm Sharon. Welcome to Queen of the Hills podcast. Thank you for tuning into the Queen of the Hills podcast. I'm your host, Sharon. Today I have a special guest, my husband, Jonathan. Hey, team. And we'll be talking about the family Chantel episode four or well, season four, episode three on the chin. Now, before we even get started, they decided to set us up for some bullshit because why would y'all say on the chin? And then the thumbnail, if you watch this on Prime, the thumbnail is so shady. Like, <laughs> look at Nicole's fucking face. With that being said, and, and spoiler alert, her chin did look a lot better than it did previously. It does look a lot better, but her chin is already a mess. She is a mess. And I don't like pulling down women, especially based on their looks, but she ugly in the soul. And I think she needs to heal the soul, as Nene would say. <laughs> so um, this episode is called Heal the Soul. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> on the chin. It's called On the Chin. And um, the synopsis is Nicole meets with a doctor to better her chances at winning the pageant. The pageant. They didn't even tell us which Okay, I'm cutting up. Okay. So this episode, we catch up with everybody. If you can recall, Winter has her ass down in Mexico getting a slipshot surgery, and then she's asking for permission from Nigeria. And then we've got Chantel dealing with Pedro. We got Karen being weird. We didn't see River, just because fuck River. Um, we find out that the oldest one and his wife are having a baby and their little toxic love. And then we see more Karima, because why? Um, so this episode, we open up with... Who did we open up with? I, oh, so they're in Mexico. Everybody's headed back. And Chantel doesn't seem excited to get back to Pedro. What do you make of that? Oh, well, I think, you know, vacation is always fun, even if there's a surgery involved. And going back to uh, the real life and real life problems is, is not always uh, how you want to end a vacation, even though it usually is. Well, the point of my thinking of Chantel not being excited about Pedro, the point that I think, we're coming to is the fact that the honeymoon phase is over. I also think them buying a house has set into like a real life experience for Pedro where he's like at this transitional point and he expected at this point with these milestones, his new career, his new house, his wife, he's living the dream. Essentially he's making friends. He's really living it up. I think the issue is the fact that he doesn't have his family there to support him at the time where he is surpassing these huge milestones He's starting to see people for who they truly are. And he's starting to see the network that he thought was his support system could have been his downfall. I, I think that's fair. Um, I also I want to dig into kind of the financials and, and see how much he had to do with the milestones. Right. When you talk about the house purchase, uh, I know he was working in a warehouse job uh, versus Chanel being a full time nurse, full time nurse. <laughs> during Chantel, I'm sorry. <laughs> Chantel being a full time nurse during you know the age of COVID, so she could be bringing in a lot of money where he's kind of just put that with the rest right now and you know that's uh that's a, a, a old joke but <laughs> inside joke i guess i should say um and so i think him focusing in on his career and focusing in on building his network has a lot to do with hitting milestones that he's not necessarily um uh he's not necessarily assisting with absolutely so one of the things that pedro did say is he worked 12 hours in a warehouse if you know anything about working in a warehouse they usually pay very well and so he probably is bringing in something but i looked up chantelle's net worth because it popped up on my google and it said she was one of the highest paid reality stars and i was like what 
not based on what we see on the show, but keep in mind, not everybody shows their money. So you got to be mindful. Like not everybody's going to be wearing, you know, Gucci down and all that stuff. Sometimes people put their money back and they say, I don't know that ministry, <laughs> but she probably saved it. So when I looked it up, it was $1.5 million that she's made just from being on TLC. So Chantel brought in a lot. I know Pedro was getting paid as well, but I only looked at hers. So th likely they are somewhere around $3 million combined. Uh, that, that's assuming again, this, this is Chantel's show and it's surrounding her family. So she is probably the highest paid person right now. If they got divorced, the show will continue with her, her family and her pursuing another relationship. Right. And so, you know, three seasons, $1.5 million that she's made is $500,000 a season. I'm assuming they do somewhere around 10 episodes per season, which means she's making about $50,000 per episode, which is pretty good. Uh, I'm not sure what, what network is this on TLC. Okay. So I'm not sure about the other, uh, showrunners uh, in regards to TLC and how much they actually get paid, but I can see that being on the high side for a network like TLC versus a, a VH one where they're getting paid hundreds of thousands. And sometimes Miss Nene leaks even millions of dollars per episode. And Nene's on Bravo. Bravo is one of those. E and Bravo paid their reality stars more than everybody else. And so um, so that was interesting to know. So now we know how they came about getting their house. She finished her degree. He is now starting his new career where he makes about, what, 11000 a quarter in commissions alone. Not We don't even know his base pay, something like that. So um, we know that they're both bringing in a substantial amount of money. And, I, you know, I want to be very cognizant of the fact that parents do this. When there's a newlywed couple and they seem like they're on the up and up, the first shit they try to do, have a baby, have a baby, have a baby. Listen, just because you had a baby fresh off 19 doesn't mean everybody wants a baby right away. Some people want to get established and live in that level of establishment by themselves. Some people want to enjoy the fruits of their labor before they hand it over to a baby. So uh parents stop doing that <laughs> people will have a baby when they're good and goddamn ready but not to be a jerk but um karen's oldest son i forgot his name already but the little weird one he is having a baby with his little weird wife and good for them and now karen is asking chantel why she and pedro aren't trying for a baby and chantel had the most understandable reaction to a question like that now jonathan and i we've kind of come out of that but even before we got married when we were just dating and living together people kept asking us when are you gonna have a baby when are we gonna have a baby and we would be like uh well probably after we get married let's start there now that we're married they've eased up but those first like three years after marriage everyone was like when are you gonna have a baby when are you gonna have a baby we out here living away from our family in florida not really sure if we're gonna stay not sure if we're gonna move back like we had a whole lot of stuff up in the air a baby is not about to enter this world in confusion and dismay. Now, and on top of that, even if you have everything established on every level, allow people to enjoy what they have before asking them to make room for the biggest commitment you can make. I know a lot of people, now this is a little side note, but a lot of people love acting like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people love acting like marriage is a bigger commitment than a baby and that is not true <laughs> like i'm not trying to be a jerk when you when you get married you are now becoming one soul in the eyes of the lord and we understand that that's a huge commitment the biggest commitment you can make but there's another biggest commitment you can make <laughs> having a baby is forever now god forbid god forbid god forbid when you enter your marriage i hope you enter that marriage for life 
But people change, seasons change, things change. If I would have gotten married at 20, 21, 22, I would be divorced for sure. <laughs> if that person wasn't Jonathan, I would be divorced. So you never know what's in store and you can only trust so much of what past you made decisions to do. It was based on your circumstances and your limited knowledge. I, if I had a nickel for every time a grown ass person told me if I knew then what I know now, I would be a bajillionaire. Everybody evolves and changes the way they think, operate and move. So getting into a marriage at one stage in your life might not work out later. But guess what does not change regardless of what stage of life you're in, whether you're a parent or not. Now, how you take care of your kid, that's totally up to you. And that definitely is circumstantial. But being a parent is not circumstantial. You can't just take a break. You can't separate. You can't divorce. You are a parent whether you're doing good or bad. You are a parent whether you want to be or whether you don't want to be. You're a parent whether you decide to be a parent indeed or just entitled. You are still a parent. And so I don't fault people who look at parenthood as the biggest commitment you can make because not only am I operating as a new me in this new role, but I am now in charge of creating a happy, healthy, and progressive life for a whole nother human being. I'm also in charge of teaching this human how to be a human. I have a big ass job when you become a parent and I don't blame people who take their time. I would venture to say if more people took their time, before becoming parents, we'd have a whole lot fewer adults who have to heal from their childhoods. Take your time. That's my sermon for today. Now, we find out Chantel is not taking her time for, for they don't even have furniture. How you gonna tell these people, get have a baby, you ain't got no furniture. Exactly. They need to have a housewarming because their TV is sitting on the fireplace. On the fireplace. Mantle. Isn't that a fire uh, hazard? <laughs> It not, I don't think in, unless they're using the fireplace, it would be a bad idea for the TV. Uh, but no, they, they are in a very specific phase in their life and they're getting a lot of outside pressure. And I think Chantel's handling it in a way that yeah, makes sense uh, and in a way that she did not handle it previously, which is kind of building up a, a wall mm -hmm. and reinforcing her marriage by keeping some of the details of her marriage uh, within her household. Now, Having cameras and exposing it uh, doesn't necessarily stand up to the appreciation <laughs> that I just showed, but at least her parents will have to watch the episode six months from their conversation to find out what's really going on when it comes to some of the struggles. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know what? Here's the thing. I make a lot of jokes and people call Karen a wackadoo, but that is a close ass family. And I have every belief in the world that no matter what, they are going to support Chantel. If Chantel brought a baby today and, and, and Pedro jumped ship tomorrow, that baby going to be taken care of. So that's what I love to see. Same as when Winter and her boyfriend bro broke up. Her family did not throw that over her and say, we told you. They said, come home, restart. We got you. And that is what family does. Family don't wait for you to have a downfall and then talk shit about you. Family don't wait until you need them to treat you like you some kind of burden. Family don't make you feel bad for your shortcomings. Family encourages you, helps you, and empowers you to do better and be better and recover. That is a damn family. They are wackadoos for a reality TV show. They make jokes. They make us laugh. But I don't believe for a second that that family not going to have every last person's back who enters that family, including Pedro, including uh, the oldest one's wife. They they really do rally. They are wackadoos. Remember how they dressed for the oldest one's wedding? Do you remember that? Remember how they acted at the campo? So all I'm saying is they <laughs> you remember when he kept saying you didn't get out of the van at the campo. But let me just say this. It would be real hard for me to get out of the, the van. Now, I would have, 
I would have stayed close to the van, but I would have gotten out of the van. And when I say van, I don't mean my dad. I'm talking about the actual van. <laughs> uh, my dad's name is Van. But I would have gotten out of the van. I would have stayed close to the van, perhaps some sort of tether. But um, if I saw people in the middle of the night wielding big ass machetes, cooking outdoors with a bunch of DeCampo dogs, I too would have been a little anxious. I would have I would have shown respect for their culture. But if you don't come up in that, that does look it can look a little scary. No, absolutely. And an explanation would have been just fine. Hey, yeah. this is the way in which we operate. We throw a big family deal. There are people with machetes cutting things off of trees. There are wild dogs, but they're not really wild. They're just kind of wild. Similar, similar to a domesticated but outside cat in America. All of these things could have been explained, whether in his uh, native language or in, in attempting to do so in English by Pedro to prevent a lot of the uh, the confusion and misconceptions that uh, they they drove up to uh, when they drove drove up to the uh, campo, if you will. Now, back to the this episode again, episode three, season four. Um, Chantel is getting a lot of outside pressure from her family, specifically her mother talking about the next phase in their relationship. And Chantel is very, very worried about the phase in which they're in. And so I'm sure she wouldn't mind going to the next phase, but she's trying to do a little bit of discovery um, specific to the way in which her and Pedro are interacting on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree. Chantel's getting a lot better at deflection or moving beyond something she's not comfortable talking about and giving more structured answers. Um, when her mother started offering to give her sex tips, or let her see a video of her and her dad. Yeah, Lanisa wouldn't have got that far with me. I, I would have jumped ship. They would have been like, why is there a crazy lady running barefoot outside of this strip mall talking about help, help? That would have been me. I definitely That would have made my ears bleed. That would have made my eyes bleed. I don't even want to have the thought. Remember when, you might not remember this, on Real Housewives of Atlanta, side note, uh, on Real Housewives of Atlanta at the Mother's Day brunch, the epic Mother's Day brunch, when everybody found out Phaedra pretended not to know her due date. This is classic television, people. If you don't know, you better know. Especially if you're watching Family Day Chantel, Real Housewives walk so Family Day Ch- Chantel could run. So all of them are built on the crux of Real, Real Atlanta. All these are uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta's children. These are their sons. And at that Mother's Day brunch, <laughs> the most epic television moment that I've seen in a long time they talked about everything from putting sugar in your vagina during sex they talked about dildos they talked about Phaedra's due date they talked about Nene not giving her husband any and that's why he was cheating and Peter came in as a special guest on that conversation that was the most chaotic dramatic nonsense I've ever seen and it was perfect it was the best episode I've seen in a long time uh, the pre-drama days when it was real authentic drama and not these actresses looking to restart their careers. But my point is Nene and Candy and the rest of the ladies got into a conversation about gifts and things like that. And Candy talked about that she gave her mother a dildo for a birthday gift one time. And everyone was pretty stunned. Mama Joyce was sitting right there and was like, yeah, she gave me one. And everyone yeah. thought it was great. Well, and so Nene was like, um, Nene said, honey, the thought of my mother with a dildo. Honey, I, I about done lost my mind. And I can't say that anything encapsulated my frame of mind any better. Now, I will say I have known people who can have very open sex conversations, sex positive conversations with their parents. 
not every parent is like that and not every child is like that. It's about two separate people who they are and how they also communicate. There's a lot of factors involved when it comes to how to have intimacy conversations with your parents. I can't talk about anything private with my parents, either of them, because, you know, sometimes they both operate from a child frame of mind where, where they kind of center themselves in the conversation and not necessarily what's the greater good. And when you learn that when you're young, you learn what you can and cannot go to certain people for and who you can and cannot trust. Now, if I want to have like a real intimate, not intimate, but you know what I mean? Like a, a private conversation or if I want to talk about something that's intimate or important to me, but it may have some sort of embarrassing factors. Someone I would go to is like my aunt Sharon. She is very direct and she can, she doesn't make a lot of jokes when, when things are serious, she can be serious. And she also, whatever you tell her, that woman is a vault. She will not open that up. If you tell auntie Sharon, you know, that we've never had this conversation, but if I were to go to my aunt Sharon and say, you know what, listen, aunt Sharon, I got four nipples on one titty and I need to know what to do with it. <laughs> I need to know how to get help for this. And I'm embarrassed to ask for help. Now that isn't something that's ever happened to me. Thankfully, but if it were, I could call my aunt Sharon and she would probably be like, now nip, what the hell are you doing with four nipples? And <laughs> I would be like, um, you know, I'm pointing the word quipple for this. <laughs> why you got a quipple? And, I, and that's probably exactly what she was. And I would say, um, I don't know. They just popped up overnight. And she would literally be like, okay, uh, well, uh, what's your zip code? I'm going to uh, find a doctor close to you and uh, see, if, see if I can get you a ride over there. Can you drive or do you need me to send you a car? And I'm like, well, can, I'll drive. Okay, I'm going to send you the address. Your appointment's at 11. Uh, and, and, you know, let me know if you need help on the copay. And uh, you got your insurance? Go on and make sure you have your insurance card. If you don't have it, I, you know, I'll, I'll see what I can do and get it for you. And uh, uh, let me know if you need my help. You need me to fly out. I can be there next week. Like, she, <laughs> she, she's going to help. And then she's never going to talk about it again. She might call and be like, uh, you know, what happened with that doctor? You need any help? Y'all gonna do surgery? Like she'll, but you know what's not gonna happen? Let's say, I would never, but let's say I forget her birthday. What she not gonna do is say, yeah, you know, I helped that bitch with a quipple and she didn't even send me nothing for my birthday. <laughs> so, so that's not gonna happen. And so what the reason that's important is because in order to have intimate conversations, you both have to be operating from the adult mindset and from the greater good mindset. And you kind of have to put your discomfort aside and you also have to be a safety vault. If somebody comes to you with an intimate question or some kind of intimate knowledge, they have to trust a few things that when you get upset with me, that you won't gossip or put this over my head or no, that you won't throw this over in my face. When you are in the mood to gossip, you will not talk my business and you will not judge me. Now, not, when I say don't judge me, it does not mean not having judgment on the situation or having an opinion. It means don't judge me, meaning don't shame me with your feedback. And that's important to have an outlet. One of the things that I observed about Karen is she, first of all, don't have no filter. And two, she is a fault. What her daughters come to her with, she can take them seriously. Now, she's funny, but she takes her kids' concerns seriously. And when they tell her that she's hit a limit, she backs off. She's not one of those moms that say, well, I made you. I can treat you however I want to. No, Karen will back off. She tr she um, respects their boundaries. She's funny, but she respects their boundaries. And that that's when you can see her tapping out of reality star and being a mom. Absolutely. It's important. Um, so anyway, we went on the tangent. But let's get over to Chen. Now, this is she is the titular character for this episode. And we see crazy ass Nicole. She is continuing this, you know, Miss Dominican Republic. Uh, is it the Miss Dominican Republic pageant? Yeah. Uh, okay. So she's the she in the pageant again. And so 
the uh, I forgot his name. I think it's Stalin or something. He tells her that she need to do something about the chin. Now, her chin is very small and she goes and gets injections. And to be fair, it did make her look a lot better. Now, she need to do something about that top lip, but it did make her look a lot better. It was quick. It didn't look painful. And she seemed to be OK. She brought that damn Karima. I'm not really sure why, but um, but she looked better. I thought she looked decent until I saw her next to the other contestants. And so I'll be um, because it's going to get a little weird here. There is absolutely no way that this young lady uh, applied for this position and she was selected out of the other beauties in the Dominican Republic. Uh, when she is on stage next to the other contestants, it there is a wide uh, delta in regards to uh, the, just the appearance. Um, and this is not to say that she is not an attractive human. It is to say that she does not deserve to be on stage with the most attractive humans from her country. And that is what they're trying to sell us. And, you know, I'll be I'll be sold a, a bill of goods at any day for great entertainment. But they went a little bit too far for me on this one. It's not even they should have done like, I don't know, like a model casting call. But Miss Dominican Republic, you know, it's it's, it's very, very tough for me to believe. Um, it's tough for them to convince anybody that this is real. Maybe if they would have given me like some pictures of her being in other pageants and having the, you know, the trophy, I still wouldn't have believed it, but I would at least say, you know, she grew up in pageantry. And so the way in which she carries herself supersedes some of the flaws that are, uh, very apparent when it comes to her appearance, but they didn't even give me that background. And so it was, it was very tough, very difficult to watch. Uh, it was like she was in a a mall fashion show, but on stage with these uh, professional pageantry trained women. It was really, really bad. And I will leave it at that without calling her unattractive. You know, I think beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's subjective. No, 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 no. It's not subjective. <laughs> it's subjective. In, no, no, no. It's not subjective when you are working in the beauty industry. The beauty industry has very strict guidelines in regards to what they consider beautiful guidelines uh, is broken down by symmetry is broken down by size of different uh, parts of your body. It is very, very specific on what is beautiful. Now people do break the mold in some regards, uh, parts of their bodies. This part of your body can be a little bit bigger. If the other 17 things that they're judging you on are in line with what they judge as beautiful. This young lady, the only thing that kind of falls in line is the breast job that she got done a season or two ago. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm no, no, I don't even like Nicole. What I will not allow you to do is talk about Nicole, especially when Nicole's goal is to be Chantel. So if you want to give anybody feedback, you direct it at the mother, Chantel, because obviously this is Nicole is Chantel's shadow. So why don't you direct it at the one who is really up front is Chantel? And so to be 100%. No, Chantel looks beautiful. I'm just joking. She is freaking gorgeous. Chantel has had a lot of amazing work done. With that being How said. How amazing is it to you? With that being said, if you catch her at the wrong angle, uh -uh. which we did in, uh -uh. in uh, season four, episode two, when she was in Mexico and she didn't contour the way that she was supposed to. Not you with the contour. Um, okay. 
it it looks pretty it looks pretty bad as well and so again what Chantel does not do Chantel she's gonna be on probably your social media getting her followers up but she is not on stage with the most beautiful women in Atlanta and Georgia and the United States trying to compete and saying that what I bring to the table is at equal level to them you know what Chantel could stand on anybody's stage Chantel is a beautiful woman I want to talk about Nicole being obsessed with Chantel, though, because this is now episode three. Now, we gave her episode one, fresh off the hotel melee. Mm -hmm. But I and then we gave her episode two <laughs> when stuff is still simmering. I, I didn't give her episode two. You gave her. <laughs> I gave her episode. And now here we are, episode three, and she's calling herself Chantel's twin. It's it's giving single white female. She is obsessed. And here's the thing. You know how I always say. Hatred is truly just love in disguise. It really is. And not pure love, but like malicious love where I love you so much. I don't want nobody else to love you the way I love you. And I just want to be you. I want to eat your face. It's giving that vibe. Nicole is unstable. This girl is obsessed with Chantel. Now, here's the thing. I think she saw Chantel as like a role model in a way because Chantel is older than her. She's way, you know, she she looks way more beautiful and she's got a lot more going for herself. And I think. Instead of Nicole wanting to be friends with her, she wanted to take her down. She is trying to be a mean girl without any of the things that mean girls have to make them, to put them in a position to oppress anyone else. She's just like a gnat that's really annoying to the main cast. And I wish we could stop talking about her. I know that she pretended to break up with Alejandro. That's just not true. I just wish we could stop talking. I wish we would stop getting as much coverage about Nicole because it's not entertaining. And two, I really wish they had a translator. And the reason is, I don't, obviously, I don't mind her speaking Spanish. I don't care about that. But it's really hard to eat and watch the show because I'm having to read. Like, sometimes I like to put my head down and, like, eat my food and listen to the show, yeah. listen to the narration, listen to the confessionals. And I'm having to read the whole time. It's, it is distracting. I wish they would just have a translator speak for Nicole. And she needs to start learning English if she's going to be moving over here with her brother. I don't know if that's even still happening. Because at one point, you know, he wanted to move both his family, his mom and sister over. Oh, absolutely. And I think that from a, a long-term, midterm, long-term goal perspective, I think that's what he's still preparing to do. And unfortunately, he thought that Chantel was going to come on board and that eventually the relationships with men, she would be okay with him moving both his mom and his sister and probably his sister's spouse in with them in whatever part of Georgia they're, they're currently residing in. Uh, but that obviously is not going to happen. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a really tough phase for them to get through right now, which again is pretty normal as you transition out of your honeymoon, honeymoon phase in your marriage and you actually have real responsibilities. Uh, Chantel keeps saying, I want the old Pedro back. But what she has to realize is that she was going to school a couple of hours per day. She was coming home. He was working in a warehouse where he didn't have any friends and she was his rock. And now that he's expanding his world in the United States now, she can't be, she says that she wants to be his best friend, but what she really wants is to be his only friend. And she thought that she would be able to drive a wedge between his mother and his sister. Now, with that being said, they did an amazing job of doing it themselves. But she thought she was going to bring Pedro to the United States, detach him from some of the toxic behaviors that his mom and his sister uh, brought to the table and that she would have him all to herself. Now, what she's realizing is that no human can really live in that type of box. Mm -hmm. And now that he is expanding his world, got a new job in realty, meeting new people every single day, 
um, she doesn't have to take a back seat, but she also has to leave room for other individuals to to occupy space in, in Pedro's life. No, that's true. Um, I'm glad you segued into it because I am wondering, you know, where do we go from here? I kind of feel like the problems are being exaggerated. They knew they needed a storyline for the season. They knew they couldn't bark up the dad tree after they got exposed online. So at this point, I think it is being exaggerated. But let me say this. I think they need to go to counseling and determine what they both want out of their marriage. And I think they need to go to counseling to determine how to communicate those wants and needs to one another. Because Chantel looks like she's doing exactly what he asks of her because he is asking for specific things. He said, I need you to help out around the house more. I need you to be more helpful. I need you to be my partner. I need you to be supportive. I need you to help cook more. In this episode, we saw her step up in many of the same ways that he asked her to. And then he still said, I don't want a maid. I want a, I want a partner. So I think he doesn't exactly know what he wants either. I think what he's trying to communicate, and there is a communication barrier, what he's trying, they both speak a little bit of each other's language. So he speaks a little English. She speaks a little Spanish, but they do not speak fluently together. And one of the things that I would love to, to see him do is stop and recognize that the source of his problems is not Chantel. She's just the person who's closest to him. I think his issue is everything. I think he is going through, and we've all been through it where like, damn, everything? It like be one little bright spot in your life and everything else goes to shit. You have a really good job, school's going to shit, family's going to shit, friends going to shit, relationship going to shit. Everybody has been through that moment in your mid to late adult, I mean, young adult life where you go through that turning point where everything starts to show up and you have to make real decisions about how you want to move forward. I think the stuff with his dad, whether it's real or fake, I think it was real. I think they re reenacted the stuff that he went through earlier in his life. I think they were like, damn, that should have been caught on camera. And they all just put it on the show. Yeah. I, I don't think it was fake. I think it was just a different time and they decided to act it out for the show. But I also think he's going through that with his dad, regardless of what the specifics are. He doesn't have his dad. He found out something very pivotal about his mom and what her relationship to his dad actually was. It would be very hard to find out that your mother was a side chick when all your life you just thought your dad walked out on you. Turns out he was never really there. And then you also, with hearing that, you find out your dad's not such a great person either. If he would have had a side chick and he was already married. So, because he could have had those same children within the covenant of his marriage. So, it, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm glad Pedro and Nicole are here. I'm just saying. It's saying something that your mom was willing to be a side chick and that your dad was willing to have a side chick. And that has to feel like on some level a betrayal. Like, I don't really know the people I was born into. I've said this so many times. Your parents were people before they were parents. So even if they were good people, then they're good people and parents. If they were bad people, they were bad people and parents. And it's totally possible for them to be either one of those and still be a good or bad parent to you. They can be good people and be terrible parents. They can be bad people and be great parents. So there's a lot of different things at play here. He is trying to figure out who the hell is in his world. And what he has come to know is now not what he knew at all. Every young adult has been there. I was there when I had to see my parents as people and had to turn around and say, now, now that I know you as parents, who are you as a person? What kind of choices do you make? Let's, let's figure out how to define your character. Do I have those same character flaws and advantages? Who am I in relation to what I'm learning now? So there's a lot of things to consider in your young adult years, and we're seeing Pedro go through it. 
He's also changing his career. He's also within inside a marriage. He has also just bought a house and he's in a new country where nothing is familiar. Pedro is going through a quintessentially a quarter life crisis, which everyone goes through. We talk, we talk about midlife, but people forget quarter life crisis is hard as hell. So I, I, I don't fault. I think what's happening is he's going through all of this and he's having a communication barrier with his wife who he can't exactly express all this to. And she's never going to understand anyway, because she has a supportive family. Her, she was born to two people who were married at the time. And you can say all day, like, as long as my kids are okay, then, then whether I'm married or not, doesn't matter. It's a difference in having both parents who love you in the home. Because now you have two people on your side operating with your best interests at heart and with each other's best interests at heart. It's a, it's a very different thing. Now, there are amazing step parents in this world. Amazing. And then there are some shitty ones. But what I'm saying is when you have both parents who are 100% pro you in the same household, you can't beat that kind of support system emotionally, mentally, and financially at most times. So what I'm saying is she doesn't understand it because in her world, she has always been able to thrive and she's never had to make adjustments for the poor decisions of the adults in her life. As someone who has had that experience, trust me, I understand where Pedro is coming from when he's like, I don't understand what's happening. I mean, just imagine, I mean, I didn't realize until my twenties how toxic my life had actually been up until that point. And when I was finally in a position to change it, it, it took the courage to change the effort to change. And then this, a lot of attention and energy towards changing my life, but then also understanding why it all had to happen in the first place, especially when it seemed like a sneak attack. I thought everything was fine until one day I realized like this shit toxic. So Pedro is going through a quarter life crisis. He can't really communicate a hundred percent what's happening to him, to his wife, verbally or mentally she's not going to be able to understand it when and that's going to happen you're going to go through things at different times in a marriage i think what he should do is stop write down and and truly investigate how he feels and then investigate how to communicate that to her in the confines of a of a, of a therapist's office who can help him communicate that and then determine once he has a true grasp on what's going on with him how she can help him. In my opinion, she can't. That is internal work. He's blaming her. But what's really happening is he's going through something and he needs to isolate. Even in a marriage, when you are going through something that rocks your world, there are moments you don't, you, I mean, obviously don't separate from your spouse, but you're going to need moments to process quietly, process alone. You can't explain how you feel to someone until you know how you feel. And so you, it takes quiet time. It takes stress. I mean, stress-free, non-interrupted thinking time. Sometimes playing video games helps me to process my thoughts before I share something with you. It'll, sometimes I'll go through something. I'll share it with you days later after I've had time to sit with it and say, you know what? I'm actually not that mad about that shit. You know, I, I can always just turn my phone off. I don't have to read that comment or I don't have to read that, that post. You know, I can always tune out, but sometimes it takes me figuring out how important is this to me? Before I share it. And then if I share it, you might say, okay, well then in that case, what I'm going to do is help you in this way, X, Y, Z. I give you the opportunity to help me. What I don't do is say, I'm upset. I don't really know why, but I know it's your fault and you need to fix it. Want to know why none of the things that she does are good enough? Because he doesn't know what he needs. And I don't, and he's in a quarter life crisis. What, and, and she can't help him. What she can do though, just because you can't fix the problem does not mean you can't support someone as they walk through that journey. Because when you get married, you are signing up to walk with your partner 
everywhere. Walk with them spiritually, mentally, and physically. When you take your ass to the gym, I got to go. I don't always fulfill my obligations as a wife on that. But emotionally, I got you. Spiritually, I got you. But she can't help him. She can't fix it. But what she can do is say, whatever phase you're in, I'm right there with you, baby. Let me know how I can help you. What she did was the worst thing you can do when somebody is going through some shit that rocks their world, which is make it me against you. You are another problem I got to think about. When he talked to her, and you brought this up earlier, when he talked to her about what was going on with his dad and his mom and how he couldn't quite grasp that his mother was a side chick, the first thing, and he told her, please don't judge my mom. Please don't badmouth my mom. I just need to get this out. She said, okay, baby. Her mother told her, when Pedro talks to you about what's going on with his mom and his dad, just listen. Don't give an opinion. Did she not? And she is one of the most talkative people ever. And she was smart enough to tell her daughter, hey, when there are certain boundaries or when you're going into certain sensitive subject matter, sometimes you just have to be supportive and not give your opinion, even if you have a strong opinion about the individuals that are being talked about. Um, and again, when they were back in the, the Dominican Republic, um, Pedro had one of the many or he gave one of the many attempts to have a conversation with her about what he had going on, whether it was scripted or not. I think that he, uh, I, it, uh, from social media, it was obvious that he already knew his father. Maybe they reenacted it like the ID channel does sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is I think he really was hurt to find out that his mom was a side chick. And when you are in those type of intimate and vulnerable spaces as a person, the last thing that you want from a person that is close to you is for them to get off any type of jab, for them to be able to uh, get out of, I told you so, or this is what I've been telling you. Uh, and worst case scenario, to bring up something from the past that pointed toward the information that you already have, right? And so I think that was kind of a last straw moment for him where he completely understood, this is not a space where I can be vulnerable. And unfortunately, when you're in a marriage and you cannot be vulnerable, then you have to redefine what type of relationship you have. He's already redefining his life. He's redefining his profession. He's redefining the country that he lives in. He's redefining his friends and the individuals that he keeps close to them. And now he has to redefine the relationship with his wife. And that's a very, very dangerous situation to be in. Now she's vulnerable because she understands that a lot of things around her are changing. She wants to talk about it, but he doesn't operate in a vulnerable space around her anymore. And it's confusing her. And it happens, it happens so often. And so, again, she, uh, <clears throat> both of them need to sit down with a professional, with a counselor, uh, be able to express themselves in an open way. Um, and eventually, there will be apologies from both sides. Eventually, she will realize that what he's going through, uh, she can't necessarily assist with, but she can support him through. Um, and she's going to have to take off. He, he continuously said that she is selfish, which is a very specific, is, is a very interesting word that he's utilizing. And a lot of the times when you come from an environment that is extremely balanced, all you really have to think about is yourself. When you have a two parent household and your brother or your sister, one of your siblings is going through something and they have the support of both of your parents, you don't have to worry about it because the parents are taking care of it. And a lot of times when you come from a multi sibling household, if you don't take care of it, the other sibling will. Right. And so she's coming from a place of extreme support. And so it's very easy to sit in selfishness and only worry about the things that concern you when you're coming from that position. 
Yep, I think that's exactly it. I think she's never had to make these kind of choices by herself. And she's not going, she might have a quarter life crisis where she's trying to figure out what her place is in this world, which I think everybody goes through. But it's, everybody goes through that. But some people go through that in addition to realizing they don't have a support system or the support system they have isn't really on their side or the support system they have is not stable or they aren't able to focus on themselves because they've been parentified and they now have to be the parent in their parent-child relationship even though they are the child. So I think there's a lot at play here and I don't I feel bad for Pedro to see him going through this because I, I get it and I remember, so you met me when I was 25 and that was like when I had just realized this shit's weird. Something's off here. Like people shouldn't treat me like this. I have until I, and I hate to say it like this until I actually met you, I did not realize what it was to be treated by someone with respect and treated with respect from someone. I had, I mean, I, I it, it hit me that, you know, you didn't make jabs at me. You didn't make jokes at my expense. You didn't cut me off when I was speaking. You did not act impatient when I'm talking or act like what I'm saying was annoying. You did not invalidate my feelings. And these are all things that both my parents and my family did to me. I was a family scapegoat. And I'm learning more in therapy about family scapegoat and how that dynamic works. And when you, when the scapegoat leaves, how the rest of the family behaves and it's, I mean, it couldn't be more accurate. And so when you met me, there was this moment and, and I also started a new job where I was treated with, with a high level of respect and like mutual respect between my peers. And so I'm being put in this environment where I'm being treated with respect from, you know, my main source, my main communicator, which is you. And then I'm being treated with respect at work. And then I'm going home to a household where I still lived with my mom, but I, you know, I was helping with the bills, but I, I moved in, I, I went home to my mom who was treating me disrespectfully. My grandma lived there was being very disrespectful to me. My sister would visit and be very disrespectful to me. And I'm like, damn, I never realized how rude they were to me. And I'm already like a people pleaser. So <laughs> I never, and that's probably 100% why I was like that. And so, and then when I would try to share that with my other parent or visit with my other parent, it dawned on me like, damn, it's just more covert, but I'm being treated the same way over here. It's just more covert. And so because I had an introduction of a new quote unquote power player in my life, like somebody who took up a lot of my space, I'd, I probably wouldn't have realized that until much, much later. And so the reason why it's relevant to this is because it took me being introduced to someone who was not from my world, who did not see me as a scapegoat or as a latcher, like a latch on or something to be dealt with. You saw me as someone to enjoy and to appreciate. And it took me having that experience to to recognize the the abusive areas in my life. And, and I mean, at that point, that's when I was like, damn, I'm reevaluating every reevaluating every single relationship I have. My friendships, my relationships with my parents, my relationships with my siblings, my relationships with my cousins, my friends, whatever. And I'm realizing I have allowed people to mistreat me because that's the way I thought people showed love is by speaking to you that way. That's just just jokes. If you want people to love you, you got to just let them get their jokes off. You just got to be, you know, you got to be a, a stronger than that. You got to have a stiff upper lip. You know, people being rude to me and disrespectful to me. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to be sensitive. I don't want to whine or be a tattler. So just put up with it. No, I wasn't sensitive. I was being trained and being groomed to accept disrespect. And I was being treated like a trash can for unwanted emotions. And until I was introduced to a, a, a different way of being, I wouldn't have known to change that. Pedro has been introduced to a supportive family environment. Pedro is being introduced to an environment where people actually root for you. 
and where if you put into the environment what you put your effort into the environment, the environment gives you the effort back. Look at how River was so quick to help Pedro. Look at how quick Chantel's dad was 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 to take Pedro and River out to ride horses that time. So it's just about doing being introduced to a new environment, learning to adjust and then accept the level of respect that you deserve, not the level of disrespect. He was being he was being treated like a workhorse by his mom. He was being treated like a father by his sister. He was never allowed to be Pedro. And so he's introduced to an environment where Chantel is allowed to just be Chantel and her family is rooting for her to win. And he's like, she's spoiled. She's selfish. Also, I, I think what he's getting mixed up is Chantel operates from a place of privilege, not selfishness. She's privileged. So there is a certain, like, for example, you and your family ride for each other. Y'all can be mad at each other. You're not going to penetrate this, this, this bond. I have never seen anything like that. I've never operated with anything like that. I'm, and, the, and the family members that are like that in my family don't include me in that. They, they have to have, a, it's almost like, unless we can exclude somebody, it's not as strong. And so I'm always the person that gets excluded because <laughs> I don't have parents advocate for me. And so seeing that, way of being changed my whole dynamic mentally about how I wanted to bring kids into this world. I wanted to make sure my kids had that ironclad union of like, we're going to go through things, but we're going to support each other. I might be calling you anno annoying and stupid on one end of my phone, but when I click over, I'm about to be making sure you got this transfer. I'm going to be making sure your kids got these shoes. I'm going to make sure that you got this virtual hug. I'm about to make sure I show up and see a soccer game if I'm in town. That's what it's supposed to be. So, I, I mean, my heart. Oh, I didn't realize we we're at the 45 minute mark. My heart goes out to Pedro. Um, my heart goes out to Chantel. And I hope once they dig into this issue, he can see that this is 100 percent internal. And I can guarantee you if he cut that mama and that sister off, watch how happy he gets because he's already cut him off. And look at how much he's already soared. Look at the mental space he's been allowed to have to focus on himself. Now, with that being said, cutting off his mom and his sister, in short, cutting off his mom and his sister is going to do something very specific, which is eliminating the influence that he had from his culture. And so he is going to continue to reach out, whether it be through this realty company or other individuals in this community, uh, to fulfill that obligation of someone who understands the environment and the culture that I come from. I don't know if that bodes well for Chantel. Um, she, she will have to adjust and start going out with his friends and not always complaining about what they do, how they do it. Or she may find herself isolated where she is uh, asking him to pick or choose between her and his culture. And honestly, right now, it looks like he would choose his culture over her. He needs a space of comfort. He needs a little touch of home. Kind of like when I'm missing home, I'm quick to call my grandmama. When I'm missing home, I'm quick to go find some barbecue somewhere. When I'm missing home, I'm quick to watch a rodeo online on YouTube. No phones at the Campo. And so <laughs> now you don't know that. But anyway, um, so anyway, that's our thoughts on uh, season four, episode three of the family Chantel uh, episode on the chin with this rude ass thumbnail. If you even if you don't buy it on Prime, please go to Amazon Prime and look up the family Chantel and go to episode three and look at this rude ass thumbnail. So now we know TLC really don't like Nicole's. <laughs> but, and how could they? 
And how could they? Because she's been so mean and surly. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to this long-ass episode. I am so sorry this has been so long. But thank you so much for listening. If you have not already, go ahead and subscribe to the Queen of the Hills podcast. Or if you're listening to this over on YouTube, which you're only getting one-fourth of the episode because I want you to listen to the whole one over here where we can thrive. But if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to like the video and subscribe to my channel, Sherry and Shade YouTube channel. We're almost at 4,500 subscribers, so good for us. Thank you so much for watching. Feel free to comment uh, comment down below in the description box if you're listening on YouTube. Follow me over on Instagram and Twitter at Sherry and Sade. And every week, Queen of the Hills drops a new episode, so don't forget to look out and turn on that notification bell. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Bye.